What's the craziest World War 1 or 2 story you know? In World War 1 my grandfather fought in the trenches in France. One night the Germans were shelling them all night. About 5 in the morning they stopped. He found a pine log to use as a pillow to get some sleep until the sun came up. Then they'd have to dig out the trenches again. When he woke up the sun was out and the pine log he used as a pillow was somebody's leg. It had been blown off during the shelling. I bet it was more comfortable than a log would have been. My granddad and the great raid of an allied French factory. Basically my granddad, British Army World War 2, was assigned to a group that was defending a French industrial sector and when he arrived he discovered that the factory was a producer of very top quality merchandise which the Brits were liberating for themselves. Anyway he goes outside for a long smoke and walks behind the factory only to see a squad of German soldiers loading up their half track with boxes of goods too. So he shoots himself and runs back to the captain and panics about how the Germans are so nearby. The captain coolly laughs and just exclaims oh yeah don't worry about them. We have a truce where they get the boxes on that side and we get the ones on this. So the moral of the story is that nothing brings rivals together like some good old fashioned looting. There are a ton of great ones from World War 2, but because I feel like the first World War doesn't get as much attention, I'll go with my favorite from that, Alvin C. York is among the biggest badasses to ever walk this earth. Wikipedia tells the story much better than I'm going to, but York was a sharpshooter and was sent out with 17 other men to infiltrate German lines and disable machine gun nests. They found a group of German soldiers and were taking them captive when they were ambushed by what York said was over 30 machine guns. Six were killed and three more severely wounded in the ambush, which made York the senior man as a recently promoted corporal. York began to pick off Germans as quickly as he could and rapidly began to inflict heavy casualties on the Germans. At one point during the engagement York was rushed by six men and he dispatched all six with his 1911. Eventually the casualties on the German side became so great that the senior man offered a full surrender to York. York and the seven remaining men with him walked back to camp with 132 German POWs, not to mention how many he left dead on the battlefield, and he eventually was awarded the CMH for his actions. Dude was a supreme bad butt. I don't have much information sadly about my grandfather in World War 2, as he did not like to talk about his service, but what I do know is he was a Canadian paratrooper. During a training jump days before, the day before, D-Day, he was first out of the plane, and due to high winds broke both his legs, so he was stuck in a hospital bed for D-Day, where his plane and entire unit was shot down and perished. You're one lucky son of a bee. Look up Jack Churchill, fought with a claymore, only confirmed kill with longbow in the war, used bagpipes to direct men, just walked casually out of the least escapable Nazi prisoner camp, casually walked out of another, was angry the war didn't go on longer. My great grandfather was a marine, he fought in the Pacific on Guadalcanal, Baugenville, Tarawa and Iwo Jima, he was a tough mother sucker. He was only one of four guys that survived Iwo and his company. He always claimed to have a crown royal bag full of gold teeth but never showed us. He also told a story where he was using his K-bar to pry teeth out of a Jap's head when the guy's eyes popped open so my great grandpa unloaded his 1911 in the guy's face. Well when he died we found a crown royal bag full of gold teeth. Guys back then were savage. I always wonder what the difference maker is between guys who won't tell their stories and guys who tell you who they got their bag of gold teeth.
Not craziest but one of the wackiest I have read came from Lieutenant Cole John George's book. On Guadalcanal a small group of Japanese soldiers infiltrated Henderson Field all loaded down with TNT. The Japanese soldiers snuck through the camp past the fuel dump with thousands of barrels of fuel, past the ammo dump, past all the tents where the pilots were sound asleep, and planted all of the TNT on one single plane, and blew it up. They could have easily crippled the airfield for weeks by blowing up all the fuel or ammo, or they could have killed several valuable pilots, or they could have each used their TNT on separate targets, but for some reason they decided to blow up one single plane. They were the special forces. This is actually something that happened to my grandpa during World War II. I'm from Luxembourg, and so he was forced to fight for Germany on the Eastern Front. He told me that on Easter Day of 1944, there was a voluntary ceasefire for all soldiers in his immediate area. He described to me how he, a Russian, and a Brit all came together to pray celebrate. The only language they had in common was Latin. I think that's pretty freaking cool. This probably isn't crazy in the way you mean, but during World War II, my grandfather randomly met up in Japan with his brother-in-law. They were in different branches of the military, and they sent my grandmother pictures of the two of them drinking in a bar. It was amazing to her that they'd just run into each other, halfway around the world. I really like this story. Your grandma must have been so overjoyed to see that picture. Not the craziest, but my grandfather, who died when he was 81, over 10 years ago, and he was in World War II. He was part of tank personnel and his tank got shot by an anti-tank round which penetrates the tank and bounces around in there, basically killing everybody. Luckily, he was standing with his legs in the tank and his upper body out of the escape hatch. He sustained massive injuries to his legs, which caused him problems till the day he died, from the shrapnel flying around in the tank, but was fine other than that. Everyone else in that tank were killed, nine men. He was a prisoner of war for 4 months after that until his fellow Americans saved him. The end of the war happened only 7 months after he was rescued. He received a purple heart for his service. I will always respect my grandfather for going through this for our country. I once read a story about a B-24 tail gunner on a raid over the Plosti oil refinery in Romania. The plane was hit by flak and broke in half. The tail part, being lightweight and with big airfoil surfaces fell slowly to the ground, so slowly that the tail gunner didn't notice the plane had been shot down until he landed. If I recall correctly, he even shot an enemy fighter as he fell. The fighter pilot never expected to be shot from a piece of a plane that was falling down. It's not crazy but my father fought to reclaim France. He was in the infantry and as they were in the process of pushing Germany eastward, the French people who had remained behind were coming out of the woodwork. One night. They recaptured a farmhouse and prepared to stay there for the night. The family insisted that the soldiers sleep inside while the family slept in the barn. In the morning, the soldiers' clothes were all cleaned and pressed. Boots were shined. This was the only way they could show instant gratification. Dad didn't speak of the war or even watch war movies. But he liked to tell that story. I met a guy whose plane was shot down over Italy. He was a waste gunner and the plane was hit by flak. He said that he remembered being thrown around the plane and the next thing he saw was grey. He surrounded by grey and did not know what was happening. He eventually realized he was alive and falling through a cloud. He deployed his parachute and it opened enough to slow him but he thought he would have died if he had not landed in a swampy area. 
He was getting up to move out when a shot went past his head. He was captured by two home guard types. He said one was a little guy whose helmet seemed too big for him. The way he described him made me think of a Benny Hill character, that little old guy. He spent the rest of the war as a POW and when the camp was liberated the only hat he had available was from an Australian prisoner. He said Eisenhower came into the camp and yelled at him for not having the proper uniform. He told me the rest of his military career he would let anyone who yelled at him know how little that they were compared to Eisenhower. My advice is when you see those people walking around with a hat that says, whatever war veteran, stop and ask them about their experience. I have met an individual who was on the Indianapolis, a guy who was dropped into the Philippines to radio air support for the invasion, a guy who seemed almost embarrassed that he was working in the engine room off of Normandy. Eisenhower went from lieutenant, Col, 05, to four-star general, 010, in about two years. Most impressive rise I've ever heard of. Crazy story involving my grandfather, not actually in the war itself, but when he came home from it. He served two years at the end of World War II, first in France. He arrived in Normandy about a week after D-Day. After Germany surrendered he was transferred to the Pacific Front. He was stationed in the Philippines and was part of the force that would have invaded Japan by land if Japan hadn't surrendered post-bombing. He came home to America in 1946, when my dad was 4 years old. My dad had been only 2 when my grandfather left, and for those 2 years my grandmother was a single mom raising my dad and his older sister. A younger brother was born later, my dad distinctly remembers, as a 4 year old coming downstairs for breakfast one morning, and was terrified at the strange man in a military uniform sitting at their kitchen table. He literally had no conscious memory of his father before that moment. This is literally my first memory. After my dad came home from the first Gulf War, after the relatively short war, he was still there for over a year clearing the Persian Gulf of mines. I had one of my dad's expired IDs in my toy box where he had a big mustache and they made him shave it during deployment. I remember it freaking me out because I didn't recognize him at all. My grandmother's brother died in World War II and was in a flamethrower battalion. She told me when I was growing up that he died running over the top of a hill. I think his tank exploded when he was shot. Flamethrowers were incredibly freaking dangerous to have strapped to your back, apparently. So in my little brain, I was picturing that she actually saw it happen. Like there was stadium seating or something and people just lined up to watch their family members in battle. It's not really a crazy story, but I held the idea that people watched wars from bleachers for way I I I I I I too long, so that's kind of crazy. In the American Civil War at some of the first battles there actually were reports of people who came out to watch the battles from a safe distance away and treated it like a picnic. This was back when they figured that this little insurrection would be dealt with quickly, but then crap turned sour, real quick. Both my grandfathers served during World War II. Both my grandmothers were involved with the Yuzo during World War II. I can't recall exact dates and locations on this, but I know the general story goes that both my grandfathers were going to be shipping out to their respective places in the war. Maternal grandfather was Air Force, paternal grandfather Army, on basically the same day, both from somewhere in southern CA I believe. Prior to their shipping out, they both met wonderful girls at Yuzo events, 
and proposed. They were both married, and took their honeymoons in southern CA because they'd be leaving shortly after summer and R after the weddings. They each took the train to their honeymoon destination. They each took meals in the dining car of this train, and on the way to their destination met each other, became brief friends, and then parted ways with no intentions of keeping in touch. They figured all of this out at my parents wedding in the 70s when they reconnected and were certain they'd met before. That is absolutely insane. Small world for sure. Great story. Not crazy really but my history teacher told us a story about early into the war a battle took place between the British and the Germans. Back then the British had a really efficient army so when the battle started the Germans thought they were firing machine guns. The British were actually firing bolt action rifles the Lee Enfield and they were really quick at firing. One of my grandfather's good friends was at Omaha Beach on D-Day. He was charging and took a round to the chest, only to have it hit his gold zippo lighter, stopping the bullet. He then declared that he'd never stop smoking cigarettes. My Soviet grandpa fought in World War II. The Germans weren't prepared for the Soviet winter and he saw several Germans frozen on the ground. The General Winter. Granddad was a sniper with the US during the Italian campaign. He was captured and sent to Stalag 7 in Germany. He learned how to say the word farmer in German and was sent to work in a field for the Reich. A German farm girl would sneak eggs and milk to him, keeping him alive. He was liberated 9 months later, having dropped from 6 feet 4 inches and 220 pounds to 98 pounds. Your granddad must have ditched his scoped rifle or gotten extremely lucky when he was captured. Captured snipers were rarely taken prisoners. The French cavalry at the beginning of World War I wore uniforms almost exactly identical to the ones used in the Napoleonic era. In addition to this they rode into machine gun fire on horseback carrying lances and sabers. World War I was won by those who adapted quickest to technological advances. Unfortunately the French did not adopt modern strategy tactics until it was too late. Also the Germans had a gun that could shell Paris from 100 miles away. My great grandmother had to give up my grandma and great aunt to Christian families to protect them while she went into hiding and acted as a member of the resistance. After the war ended, she came back for her kids. However, she was so disheveled looking that my great aunt actually ran away from her thinking her to be a stranger. My great uncle was in multiple camps including Auschwitz and Dachau. His father and brother were killed three days before liberation, hung and burned in front of him. A week after liberation of the camp when he regained a bit of strength, my great uncle returned to the camp and dug up the bodies of his father and brother. He took pictures of everything. After digging them up, he buried them in Germany and moved to America. After becoming a successful businessman he returned to Germany and dug them up again to rebury them in empty olive in Jerusalem, the holiest cemetery for Jews. That's just a couple of the many family stories. There are no shortage of crazy World War II stories though. My grandfather was a very intelligent man, received many medals of service while fighting with Canadian forces during World War II. We was eventually lent to the American spearhead that was racing across Europe to be the first ones to liberate Berlin because he spoke so many languages. As they were going in, he learned of a force that was going on to liberate concentration camps, and volunteered to go with as he spoke the languages that were used by many of the prisoners in the camps. I asked him how many languages he spoke when he was 81 years old or so. 
He said oh something like 15 or 16 fluently. I think I can understand close to 50 or 60 local dialects though. I don't remember. Anyhow, this man goes with the Americans to help communication while at the camps. And while at one camp, meets my grandmother, who we do not know how old she actually is. All I know is that she is an Austrian gypsy, and all her records of birth are destroyed and she spent time in the concentration camps. Her father was the elected person to talk to the American forces, so my grandfather wound up meeting her, and brought her back to Canada. And now my family grows each year because my grandfather met this wonderful feasty lady. A grandpa passed away 15-16 years ago. Grandma is on her deathbed right now actually. Neither of them really talked about how they met, or anything about the war ever. I don't blame them. I actually didn't even know my grandfather was at the camps until I was about 10 years old and was looking at pictures of liberation of the camps and said to my dad that man looks like a young grandpa and dad said, that's because it is your grandpa, and then showed me the pictures in grandpa's den. When my grandmother passes, I am sure I will get to learn more. I know she kept letters and records of her time in the camps. I know she kept my grandfather's records of service and such. But they never shared them. We figure grandma is 91-93 years old. Possibly younger. Possibly older. She doesn't know her year of birth. Her father passed away shortly after the camp was liberated. Regardless we arbitrarily celebrated her 90th last year because why not. She has now had 3 90ths. Essentially every 3 years or so we change the birthday celebration to the new age which is like 85 to 90. Next year we move to 95. Comma sadly, we doubt she will make it to the end of March or so. That would have to be my grandpa. He was in Europe in World War II helping wounded soldiers back to be treated, when some of the other men started to look at him all wide-eyed and pale, like they'd seen a ghost. So my grandpa asked them what was wrong. Are you feeling okay so of course he was, he thought, then someone pointed to his helmet. My grandpa took his helmet off to see what was wrong. Here's where it's important to know that the helmet issues to my grandpa did not properly fit his head. It sat such that there was a maybe 2-3 inch gap between the top of his head and the top of the helmet. So inside the helmet was just empty space because it couldn't be pushed down far enough onto my grandpa's thick skull. Upon inspecting the helmet, he noticed a bullet hole in the front of it, and an exit in the back. He had been shot right in the helmet, but the bullet went entirely through the empty gap in the helmet and went out the other side. It was sheer luck. It was officially reported that he had been shot in the head but survived, even though it was not the case. When he was awarded a purple heart for the occasion, he tried to explain the mistake but they gave it to him anyway. And that's how my family has the most illegitimate purple heart in US history. My grandfather's ship was sunk in World War 1 and he survived with his saxophone only to be picked up by another ship which was later sunk again. He and the saxophone both survived the second sinking as well. That was one lucky dude. Lucky saxophone. My grandfather was part of the Zagota, an underground Polish, predominantly Jewish resistance group. He led a lot of campaigns to smuggle Jews out of the ghetto by using stolen garbage trucks and hiding people in them. My grandmother and grandfather would help smuggle Jews out of the country with fake birth certificates and passports. He passed when I was 3 years old but my grandmother told me a story about them I'll never forget. My grandfather, grandmother and other members of the resistance were using an old house in a forest as a main base at one point. They had fake papers and uniforms of Russian police to avoid suspicion. 
At one point a squad of Gestapo German police decided to take the house for themselves to use as a base. However my grandfather talked them into sharing the space with them. Little did the German officers know. At night my grandfather and his fellow soldiers would hunt Nazis. Imagine the movies Defiance and Inglorious Bastards mashed together pretty much. And put them on trial for their crimes. My grandmother was the record keeper and my father told me he's seen the records of the people they tried and executed for war crimes. Eventually after around 6 months of living under the same roof as the Gestapo, they were ready to move on so they rounded up the officers during the night and put them on trial. Hitler survived the war and fled to South America where he was cloned several times and at least one of his clones lives to this day working for ISIS. My grandfather joined the army during World War II even though he was underage. He ended up pee off the guy in charge of his basic training. According to family legend, the dude put my grandpa on the bus to go to war instead of the bus to go home, as he was underage. So he ended up in Europe. When he arrived there, something went wrong. I don't know what, exactly. My grandfather hated to talk about it, but he and one or two other soldiers ended up behind enemy lines and were left for dead. They backpacked for about a week trying to get back to allied controlled territory and thankfully, made it back unscathed. They found a dead Nazi along the way, my grandfather kept his gun and his riding crop, which my dad later donated to museum or something. In World War 1, an American soldier spared a German soldier's life and they let the German soldier return to his army. This German soldier was a young Adolf Hitler. British soldier. The first soldiers captured at Normandy were Koreans. What happened was they had been captured and pressed into service by the Japanese against the Russians, who captured them and pressed them into service against the Germans, who captured them and pressed them into service against the Americans. There is a movie about them. Can't remember the name but it was produced for the Korean market. It's a pretty good movie. Worth searching for, Imo. Lieutenant. Cole. James Keefe was on a bombing run to target munitions factories. When they realized the enemy was flying with them, the bomber had one of its engines shot out and not enough fuel in the remaining engines to return to allied space. This was all on the eve of his 21st birthday in March of 1944. One of the officers on board was found hiding under the parachutes having raided the first aid kits of all the morphine in a final hurrah before going down. He ended up crashing the plane in Holland where he found himself near a farm. The Gestapo had seen the plane and the pilots bailing from the plane. He went to a nearby tool shed and carefully entered it, replacing the shovel that was leaning against the door as it closed. He then hid under a rabbit hutch behind bags of feed and fertilizer as the Gestapo entered. They looked in and left, interrogating the owners, who were ally sympathizers. They didn't give him up. With the help of the Danish underground he has moved from safe house to safe house in attempts to make it back to England. In July of 1944 the Dutch underground manages to sneak him into Belgium, he is betrayed and captured in Antwerp. There, a German interrogator he nicknames Big Guy spells out in chilling words what he had feared most. So you see, Lieutenant, we know all about you and where you've been since you came down. We know the people you've stayed with and we know what they do. But we're not going to do anything at this time because we want them to keep sending us evading flyers like you. I worked as a caregiver for this man and if you'd like to know the whole story I recommend picking up his memoir 2 gold coins, and a prayer. He sadly passed away last year, and the book is one of the best written memoirs I've ever experienced. 
Jim, had an eidetic memory, so when the memoir was written it was almost 100 pages longer. I got several from my dad dad dad, my great granddad who apparently was batshit crazy, whilst training in the Orkneys. He and his friend tried to steal a Shetland pony for his friend's daughter. They got it halfway inside of a kit bag before their superior found them. Christmas 1944 he is back in Blighty. He and his girlfriend, my great grandmother, are walking home hand in hand with some groceries. One of his army friends is walking the other way with what looks like some groceries of his own. When they walk past his friend hands over his groceries to my great granddad and without saying a word they keep walking. Great grandmother asks what that was all about, he explains. Turns out his friend had stolen some meat from a pantry that was somehow used by the military police I am guessing it was in a building they operated out of. So basically his friend decided to split the meat 50 stroke 50 with my great granddad as my great grandmother came from a poorer family and wouldn't be able to afford a dinner Christmas dinner for all the family. Matt Damon got lost behind enemy lines and Tom Hanks had to go find him with bunch of guys and one piece of crap up him. Frick up him. Then he got lost in Mars. Stupid Damon. After the World War II, my grandparents then 1716, living in the East Germany moved to USSR Tashkent, now Uzbekistan, not Borat's country, they lived there for 30 years, my mom was born there and they all moved to Turkey, lived there for 12 years, then my mom got married to a my Turkish dad there, after living in Turkey 5 years together, my parents decided to move back to Uzbekistan, they lived there 19 years, I was born there then when I was 10, 2009, we immigrated to Canada, Alberta, we stayed there two years then moved to Montreal. Now my parents and I live in Montreal until now and not thinking about moving lol. So now I speak Turkish, German, Russian, Uzbek, French and English, but I had a not that good childhood all because of WW. Now whenever I tell someone I'm half Turkish half German and was born in Uzbekia they get confused or just assume that my dad was a bladed Turk who used to be Turkish immigrant but actually my mom was an immigrant in Turkey. Three generation of family traveled all over the world lol. During World War II my old neighbor was a bomber. He told me one time the bombs got stuck and didn't drop out of the plane. He ended up standing on the wing of the plane and kicking the bombs off in the middle of a fight. Not a specific story, a set, but it has always boggled my mind how much M was being used during World War II Japanese kamikaze pilots, the German Wehrmacht army, allied bomber pilots, everyone was meffed out of their minds which, to me, has always made the craziness of WW2 even that much more crazy, it even shaped the war as Hitler's erratic decisions towards the end of the war have been widely attributed to his escalating MUs. My step-grandfather took some shrapnel to the neck in Italy in World War II. He was being brought to the medical tent on a stretcher. I'm not sure why, but the stretcher wouldn't fit through the door. While the medical people were trying to figure it out, he got up and walked in, saving them the trouble. I just read The Last Panther, a memoir about the Halby Kessel in the last days of World War II. At one point he sees the miraculous Luftwaffe wonder weapon. The gleaming metal aeroplane that flies without propellers. Being towed by a team of oxen. Because they no longer control an airfield for it to take off from. Grandfather was a radio operator in the North Africa campaign. Great uncle fought in Burma. But neither of them talked about it. I worked for a guy named Gus. 
He was a Greek-American who served in the US infantry in World War II. He was fighting in Italy. One day, he was taking a break in a village and fiddling with his Tommy gun. Thompson submachine gun. An Italian shopkeeper was watching him and called to him. Hey GI, you need a help with gun? Gus walked over to the guy. Turns out the guy was a leather worker who had experience as a gunsmith. He explained to Gus that the Americans were too sloppy with the Thompson. Spraying bullets everywhere and missing the Italian soldiers. He had just the thing to help. He gave Gus a smartly designed thigh strap that connected to the Tommy gun via a leash. And featured a quick disconnect. While marching around, the gun could swing naturally at your side. When you brought it up to fire from the hip, it would pull up straight and fire at hip level. You could pull up tight and still maintain a level ray not fire. Alternatively, you could snap off a quick disconnect and go weapons free, bringing the Thompson to your shoulder and sighting down the barrel, or whatever else you wanted to do. Gus said it was a beautiful bit of gear and worked great. He offered the guy some lira, but the guy gave it to him free. Go win this war so we can get back to normal, the guy said. So that was how an Italian actively encouraged and enabled the enemy to destroy his own side during a war. Crazy. Man. As I recall, the Italians tired of Mussolini pretty quickly into WWLL and it was mostly Germans doing the fighting in Italy for most of the war. If you are new to the channel, you can subscribe. I publish new videos every day. Until then, check another video. Bye for now.